Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. My dad forswore love when he was a teenager. This proximity allowed us time to take longer walks and have longer dinners and to really get to know each other and to explore the depth of our connection. But wait, there's a marriage and children involved. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. I'm Jessica Hankin. And today, in honor of Valentine's Day, we have two stories of enduring romance. This first story is from Anna Zapiro, um, who's sharing actually the story of uh, her parents' um, relationship. And it's, um, it's a bit of a tearjerker. So maybe have a Kleenex with you as you take a listen. My dad forswore love when he was a teenager after his high school sweetheart, Wendy, left him for a dude with a leather jacket and a motorcycle. And this was really tough for my father. It fit into what my aunt called the Bambi thumper complex, which, according to my aunt, this guy in the motorcycle was a thumper. You know, kind of a bad boy, going to lead you down the wrong path, but really good looking. And that, of course, positions my dad as the Bambi, which if you knew my dad, um, we have a, a loving saying for him in our family, which is, he's an asshole. <laughs> but he's our asshole. And what he made up for maybe in his bad guy, bad boy-ness, he um, really developed in his sense of self. He was charismatic. He was a real kind of galvanizing revolutionary in high school. This was in the 60s. He got kicked off the fencing team because he wouldn't cut his hair. Um, And he went on to a life in the labor movement and moved to Washington, D.C. when he was in his 30s. And in D.C., he met a banging labor attorney who was smart and witty and kind and this was pretty tough for him because he'd forsworn love but he really felt himself falling for this woman and so eventually they had to have a talk where they decided you know if we're going to do this we're really going to go for it And they did. They walked through that door. They ended up getting married, raising kids. They built this braided life together, both activists working in the labor movement. And fast forward to 2014, my dad was diagnosed with a very rare neurodegenerative disorder called progressive supranuclear palsy. It started with him falling backwards all the time. And slowly it corroded his ability to walk, to balance. Every time he tried to move, it looked like he was moving in slow motion. And he stopped being able to focus his eyes so he couldn't see and he couldn't read. And he couldn't swallow eventually. And he also couldn't speak. In the pandemic, this became especially difficult because 
My mom had had to arrange for him to have 24-7 care to support her at home, and all the nurses coming in and out of the house was a real liability for everybody involved. And so we moved my dad to a nursing home, and we got really lucky. It was a small facility, brand new, and it was registered as a um, retirement home. So we were actually able to visit him even during the lockdown. And I moved back from L.A., during the pandemic, and I was living with my mom. And in the wintertime, the two of us would drive over to this place. Sometimes we'd bring our brand-new little puppy, and um, we would don our face masks and our face shields, and we would put on the hand sanitizer and take the temperature and then enter into the meeting room where we could hang out with my dad. During this time, he started going to these weekly music sessions that his brother, my uncle, had set up where a bunch of my uncle and his buddies would get together. They'd pick a music theme. They'd meet on Zoom. They'd all play a few songs that related to that theme and talk about them. And one day, this was in the spring, the theme was breakup songs. And my mom and I went over to the nursing home and we're trying to get my dad to figure out a breakup song because he for the life of him had no idea couldn't think of a single one and we had developed a system to communicate that we call the tissue box which was um basically you would take a tissue box or any flat surface but work with what you got um put it in front of my dad And then the motion that he's best able to do is to raise his finger and trace a letter onto the surface. And you can follow him slowly build a word this way. And so my mom is on his right and I'm on his left and we are trying to get him to think of a breakup song. And finally, he lifts his finger. And I grab the tissue box put it in front of him. So exciting. We've got one. And he traces the first letter. Y. O. U. Okay, U. Getting somewhere. B. L. E, W, U, blue. Not what I was expecting. (laughs) T, H, E, M, U, blue, them. A L L A W A And then I realize that he's not writing the name of a song. He's writing a note to my mom who's sitting there next to him she's been with him 40 years 
he doesn't have a breakup song because she blew them all away. Yep, tearjerker for sure. Beautiful story. And of course, when you begin a story saying that you forswear off love, right? Or your father, you know what's going to happen, yeah. right? And that's there's a deliciousness to that. Before we get to this next tale of enduring romance, we are going to take a quick break. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. This next story from Patty Archuleta is, it's a great story because it's like very meandering, which normally I don't love, but I love this because it's almost like a timeline and you're just, every next mile marker she gives us, you're wondering how this is going to connect back to the beginning. And finally it does. And um, so take a listen to Patty's story. 1981. I returned to Baltimore after living in Arizona where I had been laid off. I was able to transfer my unemployment benefits to Maryland where I qualified for an occupational training program at Catonsville Community College, now CCBC. The OTC, the Occupational Training Center, held its uh, orientation on campus in in a trailer and it was led in part by the occupational training uh, academic skills instructor who was a tall, handsome man with salt and pepper hair and a smart wit. After a few weeks in his class and spending some time on smoke breaks together, a deep friendship had emerged. A little while later, I tested out of his class and made my way across campus to the printing program. On the rare occasion we would cross paths, we were always very happy to see each other. 1992, I graduate from the OTC and get hired on campus at the newfangled Mac lab to teach and to substitute at the OTC. With more time and closer proximity, we decided to spend some time getting to know each other, going to lunch and taking walks. After after some time, our feelings deepened. And I have to tell you right now, I was in a five-year relationship that was flailing. I was with someone who was an accomplished alcoholic. And my friend, my friend was in a troubled marriage with twin preschoolers. This proximity allowed us time to take longer walks and have longer dinners and to really get to know each other and to explore the depth of our connection. But wait, there's a marriage and children involved. 1993. I pick up gigs teaching and designing around town at the Catonsville Times the city paper, Baltimore resources, you name it, I was in my car doing freelance work at all the publications before I finally landed a gig as associate art director at Baltimore Magazine. And I left my flailing relationship and moved to Charles Village. We didn't see much during that time, see each other very much during that time, but it was the days before email and cell phones, so we wrote a lot. He would write me poetry and I would send him mixtapes. (laughs) mixtapes right Um, 1994 we decide it's time to call it quits it's 
too painful to have the unrealized love. And plus, his family really does deserve a chance, his marriage and his kids. So we say goodbye. 1996. Let me make my... 1996, I moved back to Arizona. 1997, I get married and have a baby. 1998, my little boy presents with a, a radical seizure disorder of over 100 seizures a day with a profound developmental regression. And I realized, well, I know a lot about art and design. I don't know anything about early childhood development. And I start my slow roll towards a college degree. 2000, my son is successfully treated with a ketogenic diet at the Pediatric Epilepsy Center at Johns Hopkins. Woo, Hopkins. (laughs) And he was subsequently diagnosed with autism. And at that point, I tweaked my education to include early intervention. From 2000 to 2006, I spent my time advocating for my son and navigating a really challenging marriage. 2007, six months into a messy separation and headed for divorce, I had been cheated on, gaslighted, and my emotions were torn apart. I ditched my wedding ring in favor of a let freedom ring. It was a... It was a beautiful ring. It's a garnet with two gold bars and a unique silver setting. And for me, it was so representational of where I was. I wanted to be true to myself. I wanted to live my authentic self and to live out loud. So I had also made more traction on my journey toward a bachelor's degree, and I was close to achieving that at Prescott College, where they give credit for life experience. And I realized I could take that time spent at the OTC and turn that into lived, college lived experience. So on my way back to Baltimore during the summer of 2007 to visit my mom, who had been getting older and quite ill, I decided that it was time to look up my old love, who, as it turned out, still worked at the college. And we made plans to have lunch at the Double Tea Diner. Um, To find out that the OTC had lost its funding years before and all the documents destroyed, so we decide that we're going to collaborate and try to cobble those contact hours together to get me the credit for life experience. As we walk back to our cars, I look over and I see that tears have welled up in his eyes. And I reached over for his hand and I asked if he was okay. He shook his head and he said, I can't imagine you walking out of my life again. can I see you before you leave? In my own awkwardness and response, I said, sure, and made my way back to the car. (laughs) I went back to my mom's for several hours, churning over my own emerging emotions, before I called him later in the evening to ask if he wanted to go for some ice cream. Well, it turns out 11 o'clock at night is not a really great time to find an open ice cream parlor. But we were right on time to spend the night sitting on my mom's couch, reliving our recent heartaches and rekindling old flames. I was leery. I was a mess. I had been through so much. But nonetheless, we spent the the next week spending time together, rebuilding our relationship, our friendship, and building trust. And that summer of 2007, I was courted every day after dinner to an ice cream cone as we figured out the logistics of how to build a life together. 
2023, we're celebrating 16 years together. And thank you. And 31 years since we first met. It's been, we've parented through adolescence, we've navigated menopause, the loss of parents, we've done it all together. When we got back together, we realized that we had kept old letters from back in the day. And this one was the last one I wrote to him in 1994. A brief excerpt. (laughs) Could you, would you, perhaps do you? Yikes, those are big words. I could, would, and do love you too. If you so desired, I would wait until the end of the world, or at least the end of the century, to be with you. And I did. I waited until the end of the millennium. And I, (laughs) I couldn't be happier. And as a result of cultivating this story for the stoop, we have decided to make it official and tie the knot in spring of 2024. And if there had been enough tickets and space tonight, we would have gotten married right here. I wish they had gotten married there. That was, uh, it would have been so memorable. But she brought back the ring, which is an old stoop trope. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And I don't know who caught it. Mm. I really needed to, I need to follow up on that. Jeez. Um, Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. We want to thank Maureen Harvey, our um, incredible producer, and we want to thank WYPR for hosting us on their platform, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.